Okay, so I, I hear that I've got a co-host upgrade this week. Uh, I got this direct from the NWC Midwest Conference office. They, they told me we've got somebody even better than James Baker. I don't think that's possible in terms of, you know, the X's and O's that he provides in this show. But we've got Jim Catanzaro, claims to be the coach of Lake Forest College and like the athletic director or something like that there. What, what are your credentials, sir? Um, all other duties as assigned by my bosses. No, uh, athletic director and head football coach at Lake Forest. And I'm definitely an upgrade from JB. He's not here, so therefore I'm better than that. Okay, there may be truth there. Uh, I, I will give you that right now, but uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, we're going to act like we're in crunch time, and I'm going to show highlights of a game that maybe you've seen. I, I, don't, I don't know if you saw this game uh, or remember much of it. So I'll go to the clips, and then what you're going to do is – Act like you understand everything going on in that game and give me the X's and O's and how it affects things ultimately. And then we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the team and their next opponent. Okay, so just sit back for a second and we'll act like uh, we're doing a crunch time feature here and then we'll roll. Here we go. Okay, JC. Get it? Not JB, but JC. Okay, we'll, we'll just we'll start again. <laughs> Okay, JC, uh, we've got a great game here. Lake Forest College at Illinois College, big game in the uh, Midwest Conference. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, at the end of the first Illinois College drive, Zach Spain's bad day began for Illinois College, unfortunately, as he has his punt blocked by Danny Baker. It's recovered by Illinois College, but at their own four-yard line. And so that's a turnover on downs. First down, Lake Forest, two plays later, uh, they get a uh, touchdown and a 7-0 lead through the Foresters. Later in the half, though, with Lake Forest College holding a 14-6 lead, history repeated itself. Yes, Danny Baker again on the Zach Spain punt. This time, Baker lands on it at the Illinois College 18. Six plays later, the block will be converted to another touchdown and a 21-6 Lake Forest lead. But Lake Forest wasn't done in the first half, as look at Damon Bonds go. An 87-yard rush to the Illinois College nine-yard line. Uh, ultimately, a, a personal foul put it to the four, and that set up eventually a Trey Stewart one-yard touchdown run with four seconds left in the half. The halftime score was Lake Forest 28, Illinois College six. In the third quarter, it was all Lake Forest, but we'll focus on special teams, namely A.J. Jackson. Late in the quarter, Spain gets the ball off, but the result may have been worse than even the blocks. Goes right, now left. Still on his feet with blockers out in front. To the 40, 35, 30. He keeps moving. 20. Hurdles the man. Still going. What a play. Athleticism on display as Jackson goes all the way into the end zone for the touchdown. You may not see a better punt return this season. Less than two minutes later, another Illinois College punt in another Illinois College disaster. Jackson, he got it at the 40-yard line. He's got blockers out in front again to midfield. Oh, my goodness. Is he going to do it again? 30, still blockers, 20, 10, untouched into the end zone. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I think the best part about that play was how he was able to pick that ball off the ground. It was a short hop. That was Jackson's third touchdown of the game, and it put the game away for good for Lake Forest as the Foresters won. 48 to 13, and as we said, AJ Jackson responsible for three touchdowns in the game. And uh, give uh, Bonds some credit. Uh, besides that 87-yard run, he had two touchdowns of his own in that game. JC, it, quite an effort by Lake Forest as they prepare for an undefeated Ripon team in Week Seven. 
Yeah, you know, the, the special teams really made it easy there for the Foresters. They got 28 points off of uh, 22 yards of total offense. So I think that's a pretty good day. And for the guy who has to call the offense, you know, uh, I, I think Coach Cat was pretty happy with only having to call a few plays to get those points. So, yeah, special teams definitely making a big difference for us on Saturday. Not bad. I, I, I think that was as concise as a, I've ever seen it. <laughs> J- James Baker, eat your heart out. I mean, that that's what we need on this show. That nice, quick punch like that, my friend. Okay, now let's act like we're in the Week 7 preview show, okay, which will be on Friday, obviously, and maybe we'll predict the game uh, between Lake Forest and Ripon. Yeah, let me set you up here, and we'll, we'll have you break down that game a little bit, okay? Um, both teams at, uh, undefeated right now. I think 5-0, and both of them, obviously undefeated in the conference. So uh, in a multi-way race in the Midwest Conference, this is, this is a huge game to help solve a puzzle. We keep talking about these puzzles in all these conferences. Well, this is a multi-layered puzzle right now, too, in the Midwest Conference. Tell me how this game sets up on paper. Yeah, you know, this is a, uh, a pretty heady matchup. We actually played each other in the spring. And so this will be a repeat of that game. But I would say that the the outcome may not be the same. They were, they're were they a much different team. They changed their offense from the triple option last fall uh, to a more conventional college offense, and they're having a lot of success with that. And, uh, you know, they were in their first game, first two games of trying that out in the spring. Uh, they have a new quarterback um, as well as some other talented players on the team, and so they're going to be a little bit different. They've taken Cormac Madigan, who is their triple option quarterback, uh, this past weekend, he had a 60-plus yard receiving touchdown, a 70-yard rushing touchdown as a tailback, and they're still letting him throw the football. So they've got uh, some things for us to prepare for with their new quarterback and uh, having you know Cormick still on the field with him. Uh, defensively, they like to blitz all over the place, and we know that's coming for us, and we've just got to be ready for that. Okay, I'm going to use some of that information on Friday when I have to pick this game, uh, most likely. But let me add, I do have to chastise you for one thing. You gave me a little inside sure. track on Chicago uh, earlier in the season, uh, and they've been doing well, don't get me wrong. So then I go and pick a Chicago uh, game and pick Chicago on Friday, and they lose. Uh, so, you know, I, I need wins, JC, not, not losses, because JB has got me, I think, by about seven games right now after uh, last weekend's debacle for me. Uh, you, you know, I need better intel from you coming forward or going forward. So, what well, do you I'd like do to about say, this? I did not pick against Monmouth. I would not pick against Monmouth. So that was big oh, now you tell me. I think you may, have, you may have picked the wrong game there, but uh, it's it's the classic Ric Flair thing in the Midwest Conference. Until somebody beats the man, they are the man, and so that has to uh, take place. And you know, Monmouth's an extremely good game, extremely talented team, and so is uh, U Chicago. I mean, those are two teams down the road. We've got games with coming up, and. Um, I think U Chicago is a very improved team. I haven't even watched the game that they had on Saturday, but I know there was about 600 yards of rushing in the game between the two teams, and so I don't know if there was weather or what, but they definitely had some. Uh, you know, there was a ground game going for both teams, and that's that's a fun thing for a guy of my mentality of football to, to see. Okay, last question for you. You added the athletic director uh, title to your uh, name here, and a lot of people would ask you at this point in time, you, you know, being football coach and athletic director, are you out of your freaking mind, man? I mean, seriously, with all those duties? <laughs> I mean, why, why did you do it, and, you know, ultimately, how's it going for you? Yeah, I mean, my wife says she's really happy that I'm away from the house more often, so I think that not everybody thinks I'm crazy. Uh, no, I mean, the reasons for doing it were um, wanted to help – you know, all athletes, not just football athletes. And I thought that, you know, over the last four or five years working at the NCAA level as a football coach, I was able to kind of expand our influence and do some things for football players. 
And I want to try and make that happen for some of our other athletes and other sports teams to make sure they were getting treated equitably on par with the football programs. And I think that sometimes, you know, football gets us a lot more attention. And now I was able to help bring some of that to, you know, women's hockey and women's and men's lacrosse and things of that nature that maybe needed that extra boost. Um, but it's going great, man. I've got a great coaching staff here, a really strong administrative group. I mean, the college has had um, three athletic directors in the last 61 years, and both are still on staff here. So it's kind of a, a cool thing where I have them to lean upon when needed. Uh, Mike Dow, who's our actually our kicking coach of the football team, coach of the handball team, and then Jackie Slots, who's a Hall of Fame basketball coach and has been the AD for 25 years. They're doing a great job helping me. And then Blake Tyson, who is our interim, is actually still on campus as our associate AD. And so they they make my job a lot easier and give me my, my days for football and let me focus on that. And then the days I need to be an AD, I get to be an AD. Are they going to be okay with you being a sportscaster too? You know, I think that if I do a good job, they'll be happy. Okay. Uh, as you know, this does not pay, uh, so don't don't get that thought in your mind. I, I know other duties may have added a little bit to the paycheck, probably about at least five cents an hour. Uh, but I, you know, here we're just a pro bono type of scenario, my friend. So that that's it. That's fine. You call me anytime. I'm happy to step on for free. D3 Athletics deserves voices like yours out there, and if I can support and fill in when JB can't show up, then I'm happy to do so. Well, uh, do I get to see in Canton, Ohio? I know you're not going to be on the committee this year. Uh, your time has expired on that. And uh, our friend Eric Hart, I think same thing. So uh, some new faces coming on to it. But are you going to still get to Canton, at least for the Stag Bowl, even if your team isn't in there, which of course they will be, but just in case, I'm asking. Yeah, just, just in case, I think Eric and I have an agreement that if uh, nobody's there, we're going to meet halfway in Canton, Ohio and uh, spend some time, you know, cheering or jeering the other committee members depending on how many layers of clothing they're wearing for the cold weather well sparkle man may have to wear extra layers too we'll find out then but appreciate you joining us you might be who knows who's going to be host at the other side of this intro uh, that we do here but until that point i'm going to tell you you're watching season 14 of in the huddle In the interest of equal time, James Baker, welcome back. What do you have to say for yourself after that cold open? Um, well, you know, I think when it comes to football acumen, I, I can't really hold a candle to Coach Cat. But, you know, I had some birthdays going on, a couple of kids, my wife, some important stuff. I, I noticed you um, made a, a kind of a funny Facebook post about her putting up with me and she, of course, agreed with you wholeheartedly pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I do appreciate and love Jen for putting up with me and for putting up with this because, I mean, come on, you know, this is it is a package deal. <laughs> Not touching with a 10-foot pole. Nonetheless, yeah. uh, thanks to Kat for uh, jumping in and uh, congratulations to his team. And we'll see if the undefeated versus undefeated goes his way. Uh, we'll uh, talk more about that game on Friday, as we said. 
Uh, 30,000 foot view. Uh, you you kind of hit me up this weekend and said, boy, a lot of blowouts, but there were some interesting games, interesting results, uh, and we're going to cover some of them in crunch time, obviously, but kind of elaborate on that for those that uh, kind of watch maybe only one game or one conference. What happened nationwide in Division Three this weekend? So because there were bye weeks in a couple of conferences, which is kind of unusual, Frank, I don't remember in the past that like the Centennial took an entire week off with every team not playing or like the ASC just took an entire week off with every team not playing. I think that's a new thing now, maybe, I don't know. But out of the 96 games, almost two thirds of them were decided by 21 points or more. Not a lot of great competition <laughs> going on this weekend. If you're a fan of the teams that won by three or four or five touchdowns, I'm sure you were happy. But on the other side of the equation, not so much. I think, Frank, there were actually 11 games this weekend that were decided by a touchdown or less. Those were kind of the, the diamonds in the rough. And what a surprise, you're going to see a few of them in the next segment. And to answer your questions, yes, I do have an eyebrow issue uh, since uh, the cold open. I uh, had a little bit of an episode on both, actually. Uh, so I lost a little bit of uh, a yeah. hair that grows back and forth, or fortunately, I, I would assume. Uh, so... <laughs> You know, instead of going the eyebrow pencil route and uh, really, uh, you know, going uh, in the Jen Baker direction of things, uh, we're just leaving it as it is. So uh, it grows back. And uh, thanks for putting up with uh, the bad look today and anybody else that saw me uh, this week, <laughs> for that matter. But uh, that's that. Uh, enough apologies. We're going to cover my face quite a bit with slates of scores and highlights because this is crunch time for week six of the Fall 2021 Division III college football season. We're gonna start with a game I accidentally attended. More on that whole thing later after crunch time. Uh, it's Catholic at WPI, and Catholic jumped right out in this game. Uh, the first play of the second quarter was Preston Jeffrey getting a 54-yard pass from Matt Lowe to take a 10-0 lead for Catholic. Then, right after that, you're going to see on the second and 14, Brendan Alexa getting intercepted by Kyle Egan at the WPI 32. Not much later than that. They convert that into points as Catholic as Preston Jeffrey gets a 17-yard pass from Madden Lowe and a 17-0 lead. In the third quarter, it was Sam Cronacion with an 18-yard pass from Madden Lowe to make it 23-0. Catholic had thrown an interception uh, before that, uh, but the defense held and they got the points ultimately. And then later on, WPI tries to come back in the fourth quarter with 13-18 left. Zachary Levy with a 5-yard touchdown run makes it 23-7. But... Too much Catholic in this game, and too much Huey Bodger. The defensive end, who's normally number 51, gets a six-yard touchdown pass from Lowe. Uh, he was inserted into the game and made eligible, and uh, he caught the ball. Uh, we'll give him that in the a. end. So. A Peisman trophy. <laughs> Amen. We, we've uh, nominated him via Twitter, at least, and that made it a final score of 30-7 to Catholic. Matt Lowe, 342 yards passing. Four touchdowns. Uh, Zach Levy for WPI, 99 yards rushing and a touchdown. But the defensive Catholic, give them credit here. Three interceptions, two sacks, five tackles for loss. Then we go to the MAC for a couple games here. First, Wilkes at Albright. 
Midway through the third quarter, Aubrey held a 14-10 lead. In, in the fourth quarter, we'll go to here with 12 minutes left, Malik Bookman gets a 14-yard pass from Todd Shelley to make it 21-10 Albright. About a minute and 15 seconds later, Kamal Reed from Wilts gets a 39-yard touchdown run, and now it's 21-17 Albright. Albright responds. Malik Bookman gets a three-yard touchdown run, a lot of him in that fourth quarter, and uh, caps that 11-play drive with the touchdown for a 28-17 Albright lead, but we're not done here. As Nate Whitaker gets a 22-yard pass from Jose Tabora with 3.16 left in the fourth quarter, Albright leads 28-24. After an illegal uh, shift uh, call on a third and one at midfield, Albright could have put this uh, game away, essentially. Look at Dante Gazzola getting the, the sack of Todd Shelley for a loss of 10 yards. It forces a punt by Albright. And then with 33 seconds left in the fourth quarter, a 46-yard pass from Jose Tabora to Devin Higgins makes it 31-28 Wilkes. Then let's look at the final play as Shelley tries to get this pass downfield and is just barely incomplete in the end zone. The final score ends up being Wilkes 31, Albright 28. They trailed by 11 points with 425 remaining, did Wilkes, as you saw. Kamal Reed, 22 rushes, 175 yards, two touchdowns. And Ryan McFarlane for Albright with two interceptions in the losing effort in that game. Finally, let's talk some bonus football, as you can see in the screen. But how did we get there in the first place? It was a halftime score in this FDU Florham at Val game. 17-7 FDU Florham leading. 24-7 they made it as Connor Perez gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Anthony Caserta with 11.36 left in the third quarter. It's 24-7. LeBal would get a 24-yard field goal six minutes later, but in the fourth, they would have Ian Moran get a two-yard touchdown run. It's 24-17 FDU Florham, so that lead shrinking here, and it shrunk completely with 42 seconds left. Lining up quickly, they're going to try to sneak it. They're going to push Bohannon into the end zone. Touchdown, LBC. Bohannon with a one-yard touchdown run. You knew that's what they were going to run as soon as they ran up to the line of scrimmage. Braden Bohannon with a one-yard touchdown run, and that made it 24-piece in the first overtime because that's how we ended regulation. The teams traded field goals. So in the second overtime, first and goal from the five-yard line in Lebanon Valley's uh, rush here goes four yards they say he did not uh, reach the end zone Williams did not get there they said the fumble came out so now they only needed a field goal did FDU Florham well Connor Perez gets a one-yard touchdown pass from Anthony Caserta and FDU Florham after losing the lead wins in double overtime 33-27 Lebanon Valley had scored 17 unanswered as it says there to force that overtime but Caserta with a day 23 for 35 234 yards and quietly JB FDU Florham has gone to 4-1 and 3-0 in the conference after that loss to start the season against Merchant Marine, which is undefeated. Also, maybe that Merchant Marine team and that game kind of should have told us more about FDU Florham and how good they might be this season. Yeah, and a great start for Coach Robertson's team. Uh, you know, Devils winning four straight, uh, certainly making their presence known in the MAC as well as Wilkes. I mean, there's only 28 undefeated teams left in D3, Frank, and there's a couple of them, well, three of them, I think, in this in this conference now. So it's eventually something's got to give. But uh, the Devils being real competitive, uh, Colonels uh, keep finding ways to win games. Elsewhere in New England, we saw um, 
Endicott surprising all of us by beating uh, Western New England 45-21. to We'll have more on that in a little bit. Trinity uh, from Connecticut. They're, we're going to talk about Trinity from Texas in a little bit. But Spencer Fetter from my hometown here in Winter Park, Florida, is doing some big things up in Hartford, my, my other hometown from when I was a kid, uh, leading the Bantams back to another undefeated start. Merchant Marine, we mentioned one big 49-14. Uh, They're still undefeated team. Interesting game, Frank. Even though we didn't have highlights from it, Wesleyan barely hanging on to defeat Bowdoin. Um, it was a chance for Bowdoin to win for the first time in almost a decade up there. But Wesleyan staying undefeated in the NESCAC, hanging out, hanging on with a, a late touchdown. And then um, finally, Plymouth State and Westcon uh, in an interesting wrap-up, uh, a touchdown, and then an interception sealing the win uh, for the Panthers in Connecticut. Let's move to Region 2 here, and we're going to start with the Liberty League game that we thought could go a little interestingly, and it started that way, actually. St. Lawrence at Union. Union had the only scoring in the first quarter, which was uh, two Andrew Lau field goals for a 6-0 lead. But to start the second quarter, St. Lawrence's Peyton Schmidt gets a one-yard touchdown run to take the lead. 7-6 St. Lawrence with 13.42 left first half. Ike Erebor, though, a six-yard touchdown run from him about five minutes later made it 13-7 Union, and Lau would add his third field goal of the first half before halftime to make it 16-7 Union at halftime. In the second half, the Union running game was just too much for St. Lawrence. Ike Erebor leaps for a two-yard touchdown here to make it 23-7 Union, and then welcome Jonathan Anderson to the party for Union. Uh, 2.54 left in the third with the one-yard touchdown run, and then a little bit later in the fourth quarter, six minutes left, an 18-yard touchdown run by Anderson, his fourth and fifth touchdowns of the season. It's 37-7, Union. That was your final. I want to bring it back in for a second here. It seems like with even without Ik Arabor or when they, uh, they you know take him out in terms of reps or whatnot, Union's got some great rushers we had never heard of coming into this season, and some good receivers as well. This offense, even though it's not all pass like we thought it might be coming into this season with a dose of Arabor, it's kind of flipped what we thought this offense would be. Well, it hasn't really changed, in my opinion, Frank, because it all starts up front. You know I'm a big advocate for the offensive line, and, and as I've said before, I think Coach Behrman has just done a fantastic job uh, with recruiting for the Dutchman. He's really built depth at every position, um, maybe the, the most complete team in, in the Liberty League, just as far as you know, overall talent. Every week they're, you know, new guys, you know, Tolbert, you know, playing great at wide receiver. Fiore comes in and, and scores some touchdowns. So um, certainly no shortage of, uh, of talent there in Schenectady. And, you know, they keep they keep winning games. And so um, Union schedule, though, more backloaded than most uh, most undefeated teams out there right now. So uh, hopefully their bye week, which I think is coming up um, this, this weekend, will give them a chance to, to rest up and get healthy because they're going to have a, a tough stretch to, to run it out against was it Ithaca, Hobart, and RPI? Let's go to another Region 2 game. This is in the NJAC, Rowan at Kane. Kane had the only first quarter scoring with a 28-yard Matthews field goal early in the second quarter. Then uh, a little bit later in the second quarter, it was John Boldenado getting an 11-yard touchdown pass from Mike Husney for Rowan. It made it a 7-3 Rowan lead. Then about four minutes later, Dante Jamison gets a 28-yard pass from Justin Lucia for Kane. It's now 10-7 Kane. Kind of a back-and-forth game for sure because with 2-10 left in that uh, quarter, 
Mike Husney gets his own one-yard touchdown run, it capped a 15-play drive, and so now what, 14-10 Rowan, you think we're going to halftime that way? Absolutely not, as Miles Topping gets a 10-yard pass from Lucia to make it 17-14 Kane. Back and forth, here we go. Well, Rowan gets a field goal before the end of this half. It was zero on the clock. Jake Hurler's field goal made it 17-17. There was no scoring in the second half's first 27 minutes, though. After all that, Kane would get the ball back with 2.52 left on the first play. It was Justin Lucia completing to Miles Toppin for 68 yards to the Rowan 25. Five plays later, Third and goal at the row and one. Dazzy Inuzio with the one-yard rush for the touchdown and a 24-17 Kane lead. But Rowan would still have a chance to tie or win as Mike Husney would use his legs to get a chunk of yards to put the end zone within reach. And then eventually from the Kane 22, Husney will have one more chance. Yeah, third and three from that 22. The pass was incomplete to John Moldonado. Kane hangs on to win. 24-17, love the name, Dazzy Iannuzio with a one-yard touchdown around wow. the cap, the six-play, 93-yard drive with 50 seconds left. What a wild game in terms of the tenor of it in that second quarter and then nothing, and then suddenly in the fourth quarter we had that back-and-forth ending. Let's go to the Empire 8 before I bring you back in here with the two games uh, we're going to focus on. First, uh, Brockport at Cortland. Uh, the first half was mainly defense as Brockport started with a 10-0 lead before the halftime score was 10-3 Brockport. But the second half was all Red Dragons. Sagala on his feet, and that ball's in the air. He's got a receiver wide open. Touchdown, Red Dragons! That's Kaishan Veal who ran straight up the middle of the field. Sagala met him with the football. Perfect execution. Then Mark Knoll with a 32-yard interception return for touchdown. About a minute and a half later, made it 17-10 Cortland. Later in the fourth quarter with 11 minutes left, Trevor Ash gets a 27-yard pass from Bree Sagala to make it 24-10 Cortland. And guess what? Another touchdown by Cortland with seven minutes left. Jaden Alfano St. John with the 18-yard touchdown run. I hope we're saying that last name correctly because that was a nice run and a win by Cortland 31 to 10 uh, you know to go from 10 to 3 and flipping that score basically as a 28 to nothing second half by Cortland an amazing job by Cortland to turn things around in that second half 251 total yards for Cortland uh Cortland's Segala, I should say with two passing touchdowns uh Noel we saw the pick six and Jale Code still had 26 rushes, 80 yards, one touchdown. That was the only touchdown for Brockport. Hartwick at Alfred. This is a wild game, too. Alfred would start with the lead just two minutes into the game as Jacob Kelsey gets a 21-yard pass from Zook Smith. Love that name, too. 7-0, Alfred's lead. But Hartwick would take a big lead following the third first-half touchdown just before halftime. It was Nate Rath with a 51-yard pass from Kyle Zocoli, I believe is the correct pronunciation. 21-7, Hartwick with 19 seconds left first half, but Dustin McCaslin would kick a 35-yard field goal before halftime, so the lead was 21-10 at halftime. Alfred would make the lead one possession with one more McCaslin field goal midway in the third quarter. Later in the third, Alfred would tie it up as Zach Leinenbach gets a 10-yard touchdown pass. It's now 21-21. In the fourth, Alfred regains the lead with 6.30 left as McCaslin gets a 28-yard field goal to make it 24-21. 
Alfred. Hartwick would get the ball back with 6.30 left. Amazingly though, this feels like that WPI situation just one week earlier as they blood the clock down. On the 13th play of the drive, Davian Kuhnland gets a three yard gain to the Alfred three. They try again on the 14th play, but Kuhnland gets only two yards to the Alfred one. Timeout Hartwick, 37 seconds left. On the 15th play of the drive, Kuhnland rushes for a one yard loss this time. So it's fourth and goal from the two. Initially, they put the field goal unit out on the field. Timeout, well, they're gonna run the play. They're gonna go for the uh, win here. Nothing for Hurricks and Sakura gets the ball. Fakes, he rolls out, throws into the end zone. It's incomplete and off the field. And we've got a hand on it. Unbelievable, folks. They went for it and they threw it into the end zone and it was incomplete. Good defense by Alfred. And that ends the game in favor of Alfred. 24-21 over Hartwick. Kyle Zaccoli, 22 for 38, 206 yards, three touchdowns. Got to give kudos to McCaskill with those three out of four field goals he hit. It was yeah. huge in bringing them back and to take the lead. And Zook Smith for Alfred, 16 for 39, not great efficiency, but 205 yards, two touchdowns. He'll take that all day. Good job by Joe Kopp with 12 tackles. Not many other Region 2 scores, so let's go and focus a little bit, as folks can read those scores, on the Empire 8 action as you saw it. Well, clearly we have a, a situation where Cortland seems to be maybe not necessarily the de facto champion, but a, what is it, a 21 point win over Brockport does say a lot about the kind of potency that the that the Red Dragons have on offense. Now, I know they still have to play Utica. They have a couple other games on the back half of the schedule, but 5-0 and at the halfway point, they're they're in the driver's seat to win that automatic qualifier and the Empire 8 championship. Um, Alfred, hey, they won two games in a row. Uh, gutsy win there at the end to have that defensive stand. It kind of reminded me of that game they won over Utica in, in the springtime where they had a, a, another sort of goal line stand to hold off a, a, a win there. So elsewhere, I think, um, you know, RPI, Buffalo State, don't believe that score. It's not as close as you would think. Uh, the engineers are a strong team. They're also undefeated. Uh, one of the one of the few in in this in this region. And then uh, we'll talk a little more about William Patterson and St. John Fisher later on. Um, but got to give some credit to TCNJ. They they played spoiler to the Montclair homecoming. Frank, it's been a tough season for our friends there in, with the Red Hawks. But you know they keep fighting, and and just at some point that offense is going to have to click. But um, you know, big win for, for the Lions, and you know, they, uh, they win the Battle of New Jersey that weekend. Yeah, Buffalo State midway through the fourth quarter was still as, uh, as distant to RPI as the families were to the players uh, as well. How's that for a bad joke? <laughs> yeah. Let's move right along to Region 3, and uh, unfortunately I've got a bad joke for everybody as Trinity nerfed the video before we could get to it, so I cannot bring uh. you video clips from this one. But Trinity wins over center in a big SAA showdown, 27 Let's call it. Coach Ross, let's call a timeout. Can we just say something really quick to these? I, I don't know. Who who is trying to play hide and seek with these videos, man? We're it's not like it's the it's we're not for it's not Fort Knox. It's not like you're giving away the company secrets. It's Division Three football, but apparently there are certain rules and leagues where they only allow film to be exchanged and 
I, I just think it's a little ridiculous. Keep the videos out there for the friends and family and for maybe stuff like this where we're actually trying to highlight some things. I mean, come on, man. Keep them out there for two weeks. If it's your two-game rule, then keep it out there for two weeks at least. We'll find it for the two weeks, grab what we need, and get out of your hair. I hate bothering <sighs> SIDs, but we have, we want to get the clips. And in this case, we saw it too late to really do anything about it. So anyway, let's talk about the fact that Trinity had a great game. Uh, 405 yards versus 180 overall. Tucker Horn, 21 for 33, 246 yards, two passing and one rushing touchdown. Trenton Duper. 163 total yards for him with one rushing touchdown. Just too much Trinity and uh, that Birmingham Southern game coming up. It's going to be a showdown for the SAA, it looks like, between those two teams, unless somebody else can step forward here in the meantime. In a surprise, Carnegie Mellon hosting Westminster on Saturday night. So let's look at this game as Westminster held a 7-6 lead late in the second quarter until Chris Hughes gets a 44-yard touchdown pass from Ben Mills. That makes it 14-7, Carnegie Mellon, with 24 seconds left in the first half. Westminster would get a field goal as the only scoring in the third quarter for either team, but the Tartans would own the fourth quarter. First, watch this fumble recovery eventually by Parker Owens in the end zone for a 21-10 lead by Carnegie Mellon a minute into the fourth quarter. Then three minutes later, Alex Javier gets a 26-yard pass from Chris Hughes for the touchdown and a 28-10 lead. The final score... 34-10, Carnegie Mellon, as the defense gets three interceptions, two sacks, and seven tackles for loss, and a fumble recovery on top of it. They held Westminster to just six rushing yards. Trey Vasilaitis gets 34 rushes, 163 yards, two touchdowns, and really set up, I think, the entire offense for Carnegie Mellon. Now we have a multi-way race, except with leadership from Washington and Jefferson up top. And that's going to be huge to see how that plays out. Can somebody knock off W&J before they face the meat of the schedule? We shall see. Also, in the ODAC, Emory and Henry, now in Division Two, loses to Randolph-Macon on a late play. Uh, but something we should feature first, Presley Egbers, the quarterback for Randolph-Macon, left the game in the first quarter. We hope he's doing okay and is back this season because, he, as we interviewed him in the uh, spring, great uh, individual and great leader for that team. Justin DeLeon with 29 rushes, 202 yards, and two touchdowns. Joey Hunt for Randolph-Macon with a game-winning touchdown with 19 seconds left. Back to the videotape for another ODAC game here, and that is Ferrum at Bridgewater. In the second quarter with six minutes left, it was Demetrius Jalepis with a two-yard touchdown run for Bridgewater to give them a 10-0 lead. Early in the second half, Farron would respond as Zach Smiley gets a one-yard touchdown run. It's now 10-7 Bridgewater. The fourth quarter was a punt fest between the teams, and Farron would get the ball back with three minutes left. Five plays later, with 140 left specifically, Nick Cook gets a 26-yard pass from Titus Jones to make it 14-10 Farron. Bridgewater, in need of a touchdown, would get to the Farron 34-yard line with less than a minute left. On fourth and 10 from the 34, Kenneth McRae was intercepted by Jakari Williams, and that would do it. The final score, Ferrum 14, Bridgewater 10. You know, we talk about WPI being a much better team than what their record reflects. Bridgewater, same thing. They've gone to the wire in a couple games the last two weeks, and they'll win some of these for sure going down the road. Nick Cook, 26-yard touchdown pass, as we said, from Titus Jones with 140 left. Total of six sacks and 16 tackles for loss in the game. That's what led to the punt fest. 
Region 3, um, the SAA beginning to take shape, the pack not, to be honest with you. I don't know what happens from here. Yeah, I mean, this starting with this region is where we started to really see some of these more blowout games. Because if you look in the, the far right-hand column, I mean, <laughs> Washington, Jefferson dropping 63 points on St. Vincent. Um, not, a, not a whole lot of close ones. Birmingham Southern outgained Hendricks 467 yards to 141. Um, like you said, it seems like both they and and Trinity are starting to rise up to the top ranks of the SAA. What's interesting though, Frank, is that it does seem like, at least in this, these conferences potentially, we might see some different fall champions than what we saw in the spring. Um, you know, Randolph-Macon's uh, not down and out just yet, but they need somebody to trip up Washington and Lee, who I guess um, had the weekend off, but, you know, it's going to come down to some some close calls. I mean, Brevard with a big win, uh, but they're still chasing Huntington. They're going to need to get some help. So for the most part, things are starting to settle. But yeah, like you said, Frank, the pack is a little undecided still. Yeah, I mean, WJ seems like the cream of the crop, but every week we think we have a cream of the crop and somebody takes somebody down. And so that's, that's an exciting conference for sure. Yeah. And uh, hopefully they retweet us for saying that, but we'll see what happens ultimately uh, with that conference let's go to the uh, northwest conference here in region six and uh, let's first talk about linfield whitworth no video here we'll just tell you that linfield took care of whitworth early and often 42 to 7 uh wyatt yeah. smith linfield 24th for 35 308 yards four passing and one rushing touchdowns linfield's defense though with three sacks and eight tackles for loss and interception and 10 pass breakups i mean I'm assuming it was Jaden Pruitt on the other end of those uh, breakups, uh, throwing yeah. the ball. It's amazing that they were able to get to him to that degree. Let's stay in that conference for a second here as we have Pacific Lutheran at Lewis and Clark. Pack Lute started the game strong, already up 21-7. Malik White gets a 19-yard touchdown run. Pack Lute up 28-7. The lead would reach 35-10 in the third quarter, so 25 points, but Lewis and Clark would turn the game around. Desmond Holton with his 84-yard kickoff return for a touchdown makes it 35-16 Pacific Lutheran. Eventually, the score would reach 38-24 after another Lewis and Clark touchdown and Pacific Lutheran field goal, but Lewis and Clark would score again. This time, Isaac Cordova gets a 31-yard touchdown pass from Cruz Montana. 38-31 Pacific Lutheran, another uh, name, all-name team right there, Cruz Montana, love it. Uh, Lewis and Clark would get the ball back with 138 left. Two plays later. 14 from the Pioneers, 32. Snap. Montana. Stunt picked up by the Piles line. Deep pass. McGee catches it. 30. Breaks a tackle to the pylon. No signal. Touchdown, Lewis and Clark. Elijah McGee, a 69-yard touchdown pass from Cruz, Montana. It's 38-37. Here's the two-point conversion attempt. They go for basically would be almost the win because there's only a minute 18 left. It is a failed rush attempt by Deontay Navarrete. And they would look at this, though, still get the onside kick. But I'll tell you that they were unable to convert it into points 
So amazing wow. job at trying to come back in this game down 25 at one point. They only lose by one point, does Lewis and Clark. 38-37. I mean, 13 points in the final two drives for the comeback. The two-point play falling short. But, hey, Malik White from Pacific Lutheran in the winning effort. 19 rushes, 115 yards, two touchdowns. One more game to tell you about. UW Oshkosh at UW Lacrosse. It was a great start for Oshkosh. Late in the second quarter, they were up 14-7. And Stefan Flores gets a 36-yard touchdown pass from Kobe Berghammer for a 21-7 Oshkosh lead. Second half, though, everything turns around. Joey Stutzman gets a 12-yard touchdown run for Lacrosse to make it 21-14 Oshkosh leading still. 41 seconds left third quarter. Brad Tobin with his four-yard touchdown run makes it 21-20 Oshkosh leading. They would take the lead with lacrosse on a Ryan Bierney 20-yard field goal with six minutes left and then put the game away with this play. The snap, handoff is to Stutzman. He finds the right hole. He's in for the touchdown. Look, hey, that heavy package with Yolston as an upback is pretty effective. The Joey Stutzman one-yard touchdown run, 30-21 Oshkosh final. Joey Stutzman, 32 rushes, 156 yards, three touchdowns. Kobe Berghammer, 19 for 32, 204, and one touchdown for Oshkosh in the losing effort. But I'll tell you, the rushing game of lacrosse kind of surprised me. You and I were talking Saturday. I thought it would be kind of the receivers and the quarterback taking uh, the lead there for lacrosse. But the run got it done in the second half. Yeah, and I was able to watch a decent amount of that game, and it was definitely it was one of those things where you could slowly see the the tide turning, um, you know, towards uh, towards lacrosse, and uh, they just made a few uh, you know plays down the stretch that helped put this one away, uh, dominating a little bit of the line of scrimmage and time of possession. Even though some people still think that's not a thing, um, but overall, I mean, it, it was still a, a great win, and and this is a team in lacrosse that. You know, they lost to the sixth-ranked team in Division II, I think, in Grand Valley State. So this is a legit um, potential playoff-caliber team if they can't beat Whitewater, which won big over Platteville and seems to be in control of its own WIAC Pool A destiny. But I uh, got to credit lacrosse. They, they look like the real deal. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, on the other side of crunch time. Uh, other scores that stu uh, stood out for you in Regions 4, 5, 6? Well, other than the fact that Mount Union, Wheaton, and St. John's beat their opponents by about a combined 150 to nothing, Frank, um, you know, the Rose-Holman-Hanover game kind of went the way we thought with uh, uh, with Rose-Holman pulling out with a 31-21 win. DePaul edged Wittenberg 17-14 to in a late touchdown, and that one uh, on the flip side, uh, Chicago-Monmouth, we've already heard, you know, Coach Cat sort of admonish you for making that pick and quick hits with d3football.com, I guess, you know, we gotta we gotta talk to him maybe before we do our Friday uh, Friday calls. But speaking of Lake Forest, forty eight to thirteen, they're um, an undefeated team, one of the twenty eight left, and and looking good. Big matchup against Ripon coming up, and then Adrian and Al Albion was another game that we picked, and we both thought that Albion was going to be the front runner in the MIA, and lo and behold, they came up pretty flat. And I watched from what I watched in that game, they. <laughs> They were lucky to get that seven points. I mean, they really struggled. The, the Britons, I don't know what happened to them. Um, maybe Trine is going to be the team in, in that conference that, that, that makes the move to, to, to get that automatic qualifier. But right now, you know, you're get, you're 
your guess is as good as mine. Lastly, I'd say that the UW Stout uh, Eau Claire game was was also an entertaining kind of late one. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's at the Blue Golds uh, hang on for the four point win. One cancellation is Cal Lutheran versus Pomona Pitzer got a COVID cancellation. Uh, that was it. So we're batting a decent average. And so are we here as we get through another crunch time, this time for week six of the fall 2021 Division Three college football season. Before we go anywhere else, it's becoming actually a big thing. People are really tuning in to see who JV's no, MVPs not. are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. It's though it's kind of funny because and I, I need you to at least qualify this because you know I heard on around the nation that you know Pat went with a guy from uh, William Patterson as his game ball winner, um, not the guy that I picked, but ironic that's the exact same program. I was trying to be a little creative because, you know, um, I think it's Hawkins or Haskins from Central had seven touchdowns. Spencer Fetter uh, from Trinity College in Connecticut had five passing touchdowns. But Spencer Lee of uh, Winnin Patterson, yeah, he had that receiver who caught that 300 yards. But he was almost a, 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 had a perfect game almost, 20 out of 23 passing, five touchdowns, and a big win uh, for the Pioneers. I mean, you'll hear more about that on that on that other podcast. Um, but uh, and same thing, funny. You know, our friend Greg Thomas, um, at, aka Wally Wabash, who's happy birthday once again. We uh, tweeted about that on on Monday. Uh, he saw AJ Jackson with those two punt returns and picked uh, him for his game ball. I sort of thought th the same thing for the special teams player. Maybe I could have gone with the kicker from Alfred, who had a good game. But I mean, how many guys get two? punt return touchdowns in a, in a game. And finally, um, I guess this is the one you know, that's sort of off the beaten path, so to speak. Um, sophomore linebacker Joe Mish Mishka? Mishia? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Mish that right. Mishia, I would say, uh, or Misha, yeah. But uh, either way, so, why him? And where is he from? He's from St. John Fisher. He had 19 yep. tackles in their win over Morrisville State, and he currently leads the nation in total tackles with like 82 or 80-something, uh, which is pretty impressive. So shout-out to him. Uh, he's my defensive MVP for Week 6. Time out. Let's, let's put his picture back on the screen. You're, this guy looks like he's, you know, just turned 18, honestly. He looks like... A, a little bit of a, you know, a saint, yeah, a little bit of a saintly uh, kind of look. You're saying this guy had how many tackles? 19 in one game? 19, 10 solo and, and 9 assists according to the stat sheet. So unless they're, you know, liberally you know, putting check marks against him in the, in the press box, that's a pretty impressive outing. But think about something here. It says sophomore. Now that could mean first-year football player uh, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Because schools are not yeah. being consistent in how they're handling this. I've noticed that. No, so they far. are not. So nope. he may be a first-year player. We'll, we'll maybe check into that. And he's getting 19 and 82 on the season so far in six games or five games, depending on what Fisher's played so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's he's realistically, from an eligibility perspective, he's a freshman. Um, you know, whether he decides to do his full four years or maybe he's, you know, going to stick with the class here and he's going to graduate, um, you know, with, with that same class that came in. Pretty impressive effort for such a young player like that, and that's partially why I had to give him 
that defensive MVP award this week. Really great stuff. And, hey, helps uh, Coach Voss get his 175th career win. That's a, a pretty big milestone. So congrats to him as well. Absolutely. Coach Vosberg, uh, a true pioneer and leader uh, in terms of coaching in Division Three and especially the East region. Learn a lot from him, as I said on Twitter, uh, in our uh, well wishes to him. Yep. Let's go back to these regions in our scoreboards here uh, as the backdrop. But first, before we do that, I should explain what happened on Saturday. No, I was not hiding from my prediction because Lord knows <laughs> uh, I've had to take it from Endicott anyway uh, over the last couple of years. So, no, I don't hide from my predictions. In fact, I, I love when Coach Catellius suggested to me that my quick hits uh, statement about them being an upstart team uh, versus WPI, and I predicted that WPI would get off the bad season and win that game. He said, I hope you don't mind I used you as bulletin board material. <laughs> I'm like, everybody else does. Why wouldn't you? I mean, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, what else is new? Big, Yeah, big shocker there. How many dartboards am I the bullseye on, I wonder? that That's just, I don't know. Anyway, um, so... I literally get off and running about 10 minutes later than I wanted to uh, from Boston around uh, 11.40 a.m. So I'm going to be late anyway, and we all knew that. I was yeah. thinking 15 minutes late. Get in my car, hour and 15 minutes to Beverly, Massachusetts. Okay, now for those of you that don't understand how to get between Boston, which is Dorchester, so it's South Boston basically, and Beverly, yeah. Uh, there's basically 93 Route 1, and that's about all you can choose from uh, to get up there. And 93 really is kind of off the beaten path. So it's pretty much US 1, the way things were. Okay, great. So as they start climbing and driving, Waze keeps adding, oh, a delay ahead, another delay ahead, an accident ahead. And we're looking at like two hours at a certain point. Yeah. So as we're doing that, I have in the background on audio uh, the game between Endicott and uh, Western New England, and it's 21 to zero when I turn it on. Right, right as I turn it on, it's 21 to zero at that point. And we knew our friend Matt Newton, who we're going to run some clips of the uh, some of the touchdowns by Endicott right now over this. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks to New Time Sports, Matt Newton for uh, this material. We knew he was there, yeah. and it was like, okay. Foliage is a real thing in New England. We learned this the hard way this weekend because a lot of the traffic was going up to New Hampshire to look at the foliage. And that means that it would have reversed by the time I was out of that game from people coming back south. And I needed to get back to New York City. So JB and I made the executive decision and I turned around. Never done that before. But this was one of those circumstances. And... On the road toward New York, toward I-84, I was like, hey, um, JB, I think Catholic said WPI, right? And we see the scores a little lopsided, 17-0, I yeah. think, at that point. And I was like, you know what? How often do we get to see our friend Coach Catellius and also Coach C. Rob, Rusty Egan, the SID there? You know what? I, I text Rusty. He's like, where are you? Uh, because I'm like, do you mind if I come to your <laughs> sideline? I'm like, I'm coming. He's like are you vaccinated? I hate to ask you. I'm like, yeah, I'm vaccinated. Here's my uh, Empire Pass, where we call it here. Uh, Send it to them. And they had just lifted their mask mandate uh, for the crowd. Press box still had to wear it, but on the field where I was, I didn't. And so kudos to them for reevaluating their situation. Hey, RPI, take a hint. So an an engineer, a national engineering school that is very scientific 
and understands science, engineering, so on. They don't require masks if you're outside. Vaccination cards are something that they check. They probably have some social distancing stuff in the stand. So you mean they can actually put on a game with some things? That, okay, just interesting. You're going to be the one in trouble this week, the way you're going. Uh, so anyway, uh, got to see the end of the game. It got uh, what, We had over seven or 8,000 views on the uh, defensive end touchdown catch. Uh, yeah. Thanks to Reddit CFB for uh, posting that one up, retweeting it. And uh, good to see. We got the interviews uh, afterward. Uh, so go to Twitter if you haven't seen those from the Catholic game. And I, I'm sorry to indicate that we were not able to cover you the way we wanted to, but you won the game in a way that tells me this won't be my last opportunity to come see you play football. That's meaningful yeah. football. Uh, I see it because the CCC is a bit confusing right now. Uh, not so confusing insofar as Endicott winning the game is important to the equation, but you look at the Husson Curry score, 21-14. Curry has not looked good this season. So Husson winning by only seven points is a little bit disconcerting for a team that a lot of people thought was going to be somebody that could step in the way of Salve Regina and Western New England and Endicott. I'm not so sure that's the case right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, there was going to be a bit of a triumvirate. It's either going to be Salve, Western New England, or Endicott. And now, after the last couple of weeks, it really does seem that you know, Endicott is the is the team to beat. So, um, unless something changes, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But um, so far, it seems like the CCC runs through Beverly. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see here uh, real quick. Uh, you didn't buy me enough time to do it without uh, you know, looking smart <laughs> as I did it. When the Endicott Salve game is, uh, so I'm going to run down here and see. It is uh, on October 23rd, so in two weekends. A couple weeks. Uh, week eight yeah. it will be at noontime, and uh, that's a big game. It's at Salve Regina at noontime. Interesting uh, yeah, possibilities there uh, in that game. In yeah. terms of attendance, uh, the Mac Wilkes at five and zero, three and zero. FDU Florham at four and one, three and zero. Delval. Okay, so we'll talk about Delval in a second here, uh, a little bit more. But uh, we're sticking to Region One for some reasons. They had some great football, and they also yeah. have some of the best horse races going on right now for uh, conference for sure. titles. And you can't, I guess, give just everything to DelVal in this one. Now, Wilkes has not played a quality schedule. I, I think everybody admits that fact. But right now, they look decent. FTU Florham yep. is going through some teams right now that I didn't think they could beat, and they're beating them. So, yeah, yep. does it mean they beat DelVal? Okay, the odds are against it. But DelVal's got some competition. You talk about Union's backloaded schedule. DelVal's got yep. a little bit of backload going on, too, based on the teams that they have not faced yet. In the Mac, yeah, I mean, even even including you know Widener, who I know got tripped up in in week five, but they're back on the on the winning side of the ledger. They're still, I think, a five and one team, and so yeah, I mean, as much as it seems easy to just go ahead and crown the Aggies because that's what you typically do, they might have a, a tougher time getting out of this schedule uh, with a, with an undefeated record than we think. So Delval. Um... We're not going to run the video uh, because we didn't get permission to do so, and it would take a lot of bleeping, uh, to be honest with you, uh, to even run it. Uh, but there is 
a video on Instagram, and I will get you the, uh, if folks want to go watch it, which I, I know there's probably interest to do so when we, uh, you know, bring something like this up. Uh, if you go to LL Carey with an E official, that's L-L-C-A-R-E-Y official, uh, in her public uh, Instagram, uh, she has a video uh, about, I'd say, uh, right now it's about 11 uh, posts down of a locker room situation where DelVal has having some what I would call woeful facilities and this has been brought up before I don't think this is me picking on them I think everybody admits this fact uh, basically the walkway to both locker rooms is the same walkway and they've tried to partition the two locker rooms off and they have hired private security but DelVal's team Celebrating the win, I guess there's some trash talking going on leading up to the game against Kings. Uh, the players were all out in front of their locker room, hooting and hollering and whatnot, and saying some things that were honestly profane. I have no problem with team celebrating, okay? But also, Kings players were still returning to their locker room and then witnessing this and not going immediately into their locker room. So you have a domino effect going on at this point. And I bring it up for this reason. It, yeah, private security was there. There wasn't a damn thing they were going to be able to do about that if that thing got out of control. There was like two or three guys there that could have uh, tried to control it. Good luck. It's not going to happen. But there's got to be some better protocols to get the teams to their locker rooms and not combine the route there. I know they've tried to pace things in a different way and whatnot, but you know, then teams stay out to talk with their parents, their families, and everything else, and I get that completely too. There have got to be some better ways to manage this. There have got to be some coaches pulling their teams into the locker room. You want to celebrate, do it there. Endicott, after they beat WPI in that big comeback on Friday night, their locker rooms are right off the uh, end zone. And so Coach McGonigal pulls the team into the uh, locker room to do their celebration and team talk out of public view. You know what? A little weird. Got to chase down players for the interviews and everything. But I kind of get it, why they do it. In this case, I'm going to say two things. Your facilities and the way you maintain your protocols related to them are part of what determines whether you get to host or not in the NCAA playoffs. And it's very possible that Del Val goes 10-0 this season. And this has been an issue before in discussions. We think that maybe one game may have gotten tilted toward the other school in a close call because hosting rights, they felt, were better to the other school. I'm not going to name names of teams or whatnot. We had heard this as a conjecture thing a couple years ago. But something like this is real, what happened on Saturday. It was an ugly look for the school. And for the players, you got to understand, this is 2021. There are cameras everywhere outside. And the person that posted this is a fan of yours, okay? They thought this was funny, I guess, or something exciting, what was going on. It actually made you all look like something you don't want to look like. It's, it's not the look you want and you're better than that I know you are because we've covered your team how many years here have had a great relationship with you 
we're not trying to bring negative attention to your team and your school. What we're trying to say is you are better than this and there are better ways to manage this situation. And if you feel like you have a reputation as a school and as a team, do things to get that reputation to disappear. Don't feed into it. It doesn't need to happen. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really add much more to that other than, you know, um, you know, for a team that wants to become or maybe still is the, the beast of the East, so to speak. I mean, I don't think I ever heard or saw Wesley College uh, do anything like that after a game. Um, I know Mount Union doesn't. Uh, you know, maybe they, they woof a little bit in, in pregame warmups. And I know that uh, Frostburg State rubbed them the wrong way in their playoff game a couple of years ago. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, if you want to – if you want to become a top tier program, you have to both win and lose with class. And so uh, I know you were there um, when Brockport kicked that field goal and, and it was a heartbreaking loss for the Aggies, um, but there were no issues there. They, they, they took it with class. They, you know, they, they posted the game well and all that. I don't know what's changed, but something has a little bit. Maybe it's the not playing football for a while. Maybe it's something that one of the Kings players said. We don't know the full story. Just like you said, yeah, let's try to do better and, and act like we've been there before. And any other team that's out there listening or watching this, you know, hosting rights matter. Let's move to Region 2 as I say this. Okay, Buffalo State uh, RPI game, uh, we said, was not as close as it seemed. And RPI could very well go 10-0 this season or 9-0 this they, or 9-1 rather this could. season. And yeah. at nine one or ten and zero, you could host. And guess what? Attendance matters in the hosting equation. Okay. Now there may be waivers granted to schools for COVID reasons. We have not seen them. I have a call into the NCAA about this. We have not heard back yet. We'll you know update on Twitter when we find something out. But as of right now. RPI's stance, if it continued into the playoffs, would probably lose them hosting ability. And after oh, absolutely. Your team, yeah, after your team puts together a season like that, if that were to happen, would you really feel comfortable after all this bull crap that we've uh, been talking about in this decision-making process, taking that away from them, taking away their home game? Because you can't get your head out of your butts enough to understand what the reality of outdoor events is? Really? Okay, so RPI having a tremendous season. Coach Icernia, one of your best jobs in your career, I, I, hands down. Absolutely, okay? yeah. This, this team should not be undefeated based on all the things that we've brought up, okay, uh, along the way. You're, you've obviously got yeah. a great team, great players. George Marinopoulos is a great leader in the, your defensive uh, captains and everything. Uh, okay, great talent. But what you faced coming into this season – would knock a lot of teams down for a couple games in you know right off the bat, didn't happen, and you're just you're trugging along here, and yeah, you've got a little bit of a backloaded schedule too, but it'll start to take shape as we know coming very soon. Um, Liberty League kind of a dry week in a lot of ways. Uh, the NJAC Salisbury's basically still until uh, we're told otherwise. Uh, Cortland and the Empire Eight, pretty much that's that. Uh, Centennial Conference, we'll talk a lot more about that on Friday and see two games on Friday night, no less. Uh, that, that's an unusual scenario left. Um, 
we talked about the SAA situation with Trinity in Region 3. Uh, the PAC, we've also discussed pretty well. The ODAC, uh, not so sure where that one's going besides Washington and Lee needs to trip up if uh, somebody else wants to win or they need to trip them up one or the other. Uh, Randolph Macon, again, Presley Egbers, we hope you're doing okay. Uh, we don't want to belabor the point here. We'll go over to regions four through six briefly here, though. Uh, lacrosse is the one team in the country that could lose two games and they already have one don't forget uh, because of that division two game they could lose two games so whitewater and that grand valley game and still make the playoffs do you want to try to uh, under uh, explain people why that is well, that's basically because when the committee for Division Three and their national championship, they only look at wins and losses against Division Three teams. So, hey, if you if you beat a D two or NAIA team or a FCS team, whatever, it doesn't matter <laughs> in the grand scheme. Well, if you, of if you beat them, it could matter. If you lose to them, it's well, expected. Pretty much is the way they yeah. look at it. That's that's fair. Yeah. So end of the day, though, a lacrosse team, if they lose to Whitewater, would be viewed as an eight and one team in the perspective of the Pool C situation. And uh, you have a uh, slide, uh, the superlative slide, you called it. So let's let's look at it here. The midseason superlatives and uh, yeah. undefeated. You've been talking about all these undefeated. Yeah, these, we've been talking about all these undefeated teams. Well. Here they all are. Um, yeah, a little tip of the cap to uh, D3 Playbook for kind of bringing this to, to my attention in their little daily um, subscription email. If you don't do that, you should check it out. It's it's great uh, news source information. But look at this interesting thing, Frank, and, and part of the reason why we're spending so much time talking about Region 1 and Region 2, well, look where most of the undefeated teams are. <laughs> You know, it's it's pretty it's kind of crazy that you know maybe you subtract out the NESCAC teams, which I've designated with a little asterisk because they don't participate in the uh, NCAA playoffs. But still, there's a lot of teams there and some unusual ones like Gallaudet, Merchant Marine. They're having their best start since 1968, uh, which is which is pretty amazing. Um, Region two is still fairly stacked with the uh, Liberty League, Empire Eight, and, and Centennial teams. Region three. A couple of SAA, one pack team remaining. Region 4 only having two undefeated teams I thought was interesting. And same thing with Region 5. Uh, we've talked about that Lake Forest ripping game. We'll, we'll have to pick that this Friday. And then out west, you know, Cal Lutheran we mentioned, and some of the ASC teams, St. John's, Linfield, the usual suspects. The other thing interesting that I thought, Frank, is that these home win streaks. I mean, Whitewater, hey, speaking of mask mandates, 15,000 people went to the game last weekend in Whitewater. Didn't see any masks in the crowd. I don't think anyone got sick. Everything worked out. Went on RPI. Get with the program. Uh, Linfield, 15 wins. RPI and Union, interesting, though. 12 and 11 apiece to be in the top five uh, win streaks. Pretty interesting. Maybe RPI will want to keep fans out of their stadium if they keep winning games. Who knows? And then <laughs> don't score- start that. <laughs> And then scoring offense, you can see a lot of, you know, there's a correlation between undefeated teams and the top scoring offenses, as well as with the top scoring defenses. To me, the one team that stands out the most um, with the defensive side, though, Frank, is Birmingham Southern. We don't really talk about them as a great defensive team. We know Shuford and their offense is very explosive, but look at them. They're third in the nation as far as scoring defense, and uh, they're they're going to need that to, I guess, you know, look at 
who they have to go up against, Trinity. So that uh, that game, which we might think is an offensive shootout, may actually really be a defensive battle. RPI, he didn't mean it. Okay, the fans, he didn't he didn't mean it out there. He he, he really wants you at the games. Uh, anyway. Uh, it, uh, the Union RPI game is at Union this season, by the way, for those wondering. So uh, that could be interesting in terms of how that streak plays out for Union uh, specifically. But uh, RPI plays, uh, who do they play this week? Hobart, at Hobart, which I'm very happy for the Hobart fans and the RPI fans because they can actually go to the game. And once one other thing I want to say is that whenever RPI's final home game is, what are you going to – they have 50 guys that are either seniors or fifth-year seniors on this team. Are you going to have a senior day with no families? Uh, uh, no I, comment. There, there's, no, there's no answer to give you because right now, as it stands, there will not be. Uh, and we're trying to think of ways uh, collectively how to counteract this situation in spite of RPI's administration. And I'm sure they don't like some of the things we've come up with. Well – too freaking bad okay i'm sorry uh life goes on for these uh players and these families uh, and we'll figure out ways to make it work if you're not going to anyway uh travel plan for this weekend as of right now looks like frank is going to go to johns hopkins at muhlenberg on friday evening then all right we're going to catch the entire game of merchant marine hosting mit on Saturday noontime, and then probably most of the second half of Gallaudet at Maritime. That's a 2 p.m. start, so it should just be just over the happen. bridge. Yep, just over the bridge, and I uh, get to see Gallaudet for the first time. Actually, I've always wanted to see how you know this whole situation works. They're hearing impaired. We know that they've gone to the playoffs before. CBS News did a great uh, feature on them when they did, and. It, it, it's Point something to behold. Coach Behrman had told me about just he, how in awe he was when Union played Gallaudet down there a uh, good number of years back. Well, I'm going to get to see it hopefully firsthand, uh, the second half of it. And uh, if there are interviews to be done, we will do them. Uh, I believe they come with uh, sign language interpreters, or at least the coaching staff, uh, I think in most cases, are uh, proficient. And we'll be uh, reaching out to the school to make sure that we are you know, doing it right uh, there if they were to be maritime in that game. That's a big game for the ECFC in terms of uh, some of the uh, stuff going on there. We didn't talk about them much in the show. We'll talk more about them probably on Friday when we do our previews. So that's the travel schedule. Three games in two days, although part of one and two full games uh, in that. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll confirm that on Friday. Hopefully traffic cooperates. And JB, final thought. Well, and hopefully we'll see a little more competitive games in, in week seven than we saw in week six. But, you know, as we kind of get through the, the conference schedule, the, the, the fun thing, I think, is that we're seeing the finale is going to be worth the wait. Um, games in week nine, 10 and 11 are going to be fantastic. So even if we have a couple of more weekends of eh, a couple of blowouts here and there, it's, it's leading up to an exciting ending. It should be a really fun finale. And down the stretch, they will begin to come here in week seven, leading into basically four weeks after this one's done uh, that are going to be hectic for everybody as rankings begin to come out a couple weeks later and conference races start to get finally decided. 
uh, the ones that we can't feel comfortable about, even the ones that we do feel comfortable comfortable about, they all seem to get jumbled up by the end of it somehow. Something happens in so many of these uh, sure yep. thing cases. And you'll stay tuned or want to stay tuned for that on our show, among others. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you Friday for our preview show.